It's a day I will never forget. It was September the 8th, 1998. My eyes were just glued to the TV. The Cardinals were playing the Cubs. And this was the day when Mark McGuire made history. He hit home run number 62. Now I know that three years later, Barry Bonds came along and broke that record again. And I know that today those records don't mean what they used to. I mean, today we tend to look down on and despise Mark and Barry and what so many others did with that issue of steroids and because of all the lies that they told to try to cover up that issue. I get that. I was disappointed too. But before we knew about the steroids, there had never been so much excitement around the game of baseball as that year of 1998. I mean, here was Sammy Sosa, the right fielder for the Chicago Cubs, and here was Mark McGuire, the first baseman for the St. Louis Cardinals, and it seemed like every day one of the two was hitting another home run. And you just knew sooner or later one of those two was going to end up breaking the record. But here's the other reason why I will always remember that day for the people who were there that day for the people who were there in St. Louis sitting in the VIP section of Bush Stadium were the children, the grown children of Roger Maris. Roger Maris was the man who hit 61 home runs back in 1961 to establish the record. And though Roger Maris was dead, yet all four of his children were able to be there that day to be a part of the celebration. But that's the irony. Not a one of those children ever played the game of baseball. Not a one of those children ever performed in the major leagues. The only reason they were there that day, the only reason they were being given all this special attention and special treatment is because of what their father did. The only reason those four Marist children were there that day in Bush Stadium and being treated with such honor is because of what their father had achieved so many years before. Now you think about that. Is that not our testimony as Christians? One day we are going to be sitting in the VIP section of heaven, enjoying a new life in a new world. And the only reason we're going to be there is not because of anything we did. No, the only reason we're going to be there is because of our Father, our Heavenly Father, and what He has done for us. You see, it is, as Christians, we are the most blessed people in the world. And we are blessed not because of who we are. We are blessed because of who we belong to. It is this relationship with the Lord that makes all the difference in the world. It is this relationship with Jesus that gives us this sense of confidence, of knowing that no matter what lies before us, no matter what's coming our way in the future, whether it's something good or something bad, we know this, God has a plan for us and his plan will not fail. Now that's the kind of confidence that you see in the life of the Apostle Paul when he comes to the city of Ephesus here in Acts chapter 19. And here's the reason why this confidence is so important. Back in that ancient world, the world of the first century, there were many people who felt like they were living in a haunted house, living in a world filled with ghosts and evil spirits. So it wasn't unusual at all to see peasants and Roman senators, the poor and the elite coming down the same street, and each one of them wearing some kind of magical charm around their necks. Each one of them hoping somehow, some way, that this piece of magic was going to protect them from the powers of darkness. Because everybody back in that first century world was so scared and so superstitious. And that was especially true in the city of Ephesus. See, there was this legend that when they were first trying to build the city of Ephesus, they just couldn't find the right spot. Man, where are we going to build this new town? So finally, they went to a medium to, to get some advice. A medium is somebody who makes their living by talking to the dead. This is somebody who lives and operates in the world, the dark world of the occult. So this medium goes into a trance, and in the midst of this trance, the medium gives this reading. Build the city wherever the fish and the wild boar lead you. 
And you're thinking, what? The fish and the wild boar, what kind of sign is that? That's weird, that's strange. How's that ever going to come about? Well, a couple days later, some men have been on a fishing trip and they're cooking this meal over an open fire. And one of the fish that they happened to catch that day is a fish that had a live coal in its mouth. And all of a sudden it comes jumping out of the frying pan and lands on a pile of straw that was lying nearby. And immediately the straw catches fire. And there just happened to be a wild boar hiding in the nearby bushes. And when the boar sees the fire, it gets scared. It starts to squeal and it starts to run. And so the fishermen go chasing after it. And when they finally caught the boar, they killed it. And the very spot where all this happened is the very spot where the city of Ephesus is built. Now, that was a legend. But everybody in the town of Ephesus knew about that legend. And everybody in the town of Ephesus knew there is something behind that story. There is something dark and sinister at work in this place. And if you don't have some kind of magical charm, either around your wrist or around your neck, you're going to be in danger. But then these new people come to town. People like the Apostle Paul, people like this couple, the Aquila and Priscilla, they're called followers of the way, the way of Jesus. And people notice that they never wear any charms. They never use any magic to try to protect themselves. And people notice they never seem worried, they never seem scared. In fact, there seems to be this confidence about this enormous sense of confidence. And slowly over time, people begin to realize why. Because they have put their faith in a person named Jesus. These people really believe that if you belong to Jesus, the powers of evil can do you no harm. Now look at how this works out. Acts chapter 19, read this with me. Acts chapter 19, I'm going to start with verse 11. It says, and God did, get that. The focus here is all upon the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through the life of the apostle Paul. And you're thinking, hey, aren't all miracles extraordinary? Yes, they are. There's nothing run in the mill about any miracle. Any miracle is something astounding. But the miracles that are happening here and now are not the miracles you normally see in the, either in the life and ministry of Jesus or in the life and ministry of his apostles. Something rare and uncommon is taking place here in the city of Ephesus. Notice verse 12. So that even the handkerchiefs, the headbands, or maybe it was the piece of cloth that the, use, the apostle Paul would use to wipe the sweat from his forehead, and the aprons, meaning the working aprons that people like Paul would use when they were making tents, the aprons they would use to wipe their dirty hands, these sweat rags that once belonged to the Apostle Paul, now these pieces of cloth are being taken to the sick and the illnesses are cured. And they're being taken to those who have evil spirits and the evil spirits leave. Now notice two things about these miracles. It's not Paul, it's God who is making this happen. And number two, the Apostle Paul is not trying to sell these handkerchiefs and aprons. He's not trying to make some money for himself. He's not trying to make a name for himself or for his ministry. No, the focus is all upon the Lord. It's all about God and what he's doing. Isn't it interesting several years later when the Apostle Paul writes a letter to the church at Ephesus? We know it as the book of Ephesians. He never mentions anything about these miracles here in Acts chapter 19. You never hear the Apostle Paul bragging about the healing power of his sweat. No, the only thing you ever hear Paul bragging about is his weakness. How when I am weak, God is strong. How even in the midst of my weakness, God can use that weakness to manifest his grace. God wants the people of Ephesus to see that your only hope for deliverance, to be delivered from evil, that hope can only be found in Jesus, not in your magical charms. And look at how he emphasizes this in, the very, in this very next event. Verse 13. Then some Jews who are not believers in Jesus, some Jews who have been going around driving out evil spirits, and sometimes they're successful, sometimes they're not. We know this because we study, it's, it's all over the ancient documents. 
Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Well, now they decide to try a new technique. They try to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus. They've seen the Apostle Paul do this, and every time he uses that name Jesus, it always brings about positive results. Well, let's use that technique too. So they tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed, and here's how they would do it. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches about. We don't know anything about him. Paul does, but that doesn't matter. We'll just use the name. So in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out. And here's who was doing this. Verse 14, there were seven of them, the seven sons of this very influential person by the name of Siva, Siva, a Jewish chief priest. They were the ones doing this. Now notice, they're using the name of Jesus like it's a piece of magic. You don't have to actually know him. You don't have to actually believe in him. You just got to have the right words. Abracadabra, shazam, and all of a sudden the rabbit will come popping out of the hat. In other words, to them, the name of Jesus is nothing more than just another magical spell, another piece of magic they can pull out of their bag of tricks to try and make something remarkable happen. Well, the Lord will not allow himself to be manipulated like this. He will not allow his name to be used in vain. And that's exactly what's happening here. So watch what happens, verse 15. One day the demon talks back. You talk about something scary. One day the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus, I know. Now get this. The demons always recognize the unique power and authority of Jesus. And the demons can always tell who belongs to Jesus and who doesn't. Who's really connected and who's not. Jesus I know and Paul I know. So both of these areas are off limits to us. But who are you? And then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered all seven of them, gave each one of the seven such a beating, they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Instead of them casting out the demons, it's the demon who casts them out. You see, the powers of darkness are real, and they are powerful. And now the truth is becoming clear. There's only one power greater than the power of these demons, and it's the power you find in the, in the person of Jesus. Now, and so we read verse 17. Look at this. When, they be, when this became known to the Jews and the Greeks, to all the people who are living in the city of Ephesus, suddenly they're seized with fear because suddenly they recognize there is something unique about Jesus. And now the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Now here's the reason why we need to read this. These seven sons of Siva are, are telling a lie about Jesus. And a lie about Jesus becomes a lie about life. And those are the kind of lies that can just ruin you. Here's my example. Some of you have heard me use this before. There is a cemetery in Oakland, California. It's called the Evergreen Cemetery. And when you first drive through that cemetery, it just seems like any other cemetery, just row after row of gravestones. But then you notice something. Off to the side, on this gently sloping hill, there's one headstone that kind of stands out from all the rest. Just one headstone in this giant expanse of grass. I mean, there's an entire acre just set aside for this one grave marker. So you get curious, you stop the car, you go over to check it out, and when you read the inscription on the stone, now it begins to make sense why this one's different from all the rest. The inscription on the stone reads, in memory of the victims of the Jonestown tragedy. And now you realize, underneath that one grave marker, there lie buried more than 409 people, more than half of them infants and toddlers. Do you remember the story? There was a preacher by the name of Jim Jones here in Indianapolis. He's no relation to our Jim Jones, okay? <laughs> Got that. But uh, there was this preacher by the name of Jim Jones here in Indianapolis preaching in a Christian church. And at first everything is good because he had this passion about Jesus. But then he started to lose his focus. 
he started to add things to his message that you don't find here in the Bible. And at first it was kind of subtle and most people didn't notice, hey, this guy was so charismatic and he had such a vision for helping other people. Hey, he can't be bad. But over the years, his message kept getting more and more twisted and more and more bizarre until finally one day, Jim Jones began to claim that he was the reincarnation of Christ himself. He began to tell people, I am the real Jesus. And by that point, some people were so locked into this cult, they didn't want to get out. So 900 of them followed them down to the rainforest of Guyana, this little country in the northern part of South America. They were going to build a new community there. Well, there was a United States congressman who was threatening to expose all these lies that Jim Jones was telling. And the congressman came down on a private plane with a bunch of journalists. And when Jim Jones learned about that, once they arrived there, he made plans for them to be ambushed and killed. And it was right after that that Jim Jones issued this famous command. He wanted all of his followers to drink the Kool-Aid. Drink the punch that had been laced with cyanide. And then they used syringes to squirt the poison into the mouths of the babies. And anybody who refused to take the drink, they just shot him. All of a sudden, here were 900 men, women, boys, and girls lying dead under the scorching sun of this South American country. 409 of the bodies were shipped back to California in these plain wooden boxes and buried there in the Evergreen Cemetery. And they tell me that when you stand in that cemetery, when you stand in front of that three-foot headstone and you realize who is buried here, you are reminded in a graphic way that a lie about Jesus becomes a lie about life. And those are the kind of lies that can just destroy you. That's why God takes a strong action here. There is nothing that matters more in life than this, getting the truth about Jesus. And God wants the people in the city of Ephesus to see that truth. Well, we see how this incident, this event, affects everybody outside of the church. But now look at the impact it makes on the people inside of the church. Verse 18. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they'd done. Many of the believers began to realize they'd been kind of half-hearted in their commitment to Jesus. They'd not been taking their faith seriously enough. Many of these people, before they became Christians, had been involved in that world of sorcery. And they are now starting to understand just how evil and dark and dangerous that world was. And it is time to make a clean break. So verse 19, a number of them who'd once practiced sorcery, now they brought all the scrolls. Any vestiges of that old life, they brought the scrolls, the books, they brought them all together, burned them publicly. And when they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 silver coins. And in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. And you get what they did? They not only removed this stuff from their homes, they not only removed this stuff from their private use, but by burning it, they make sure that nobody else will ever again be able to read it and use it as well. They separate themselves from this evil. One day, true story, one day a little girl is playing up in a tree, and as she climbs the tree, she loses her balance and she falls. Falls more than 10 feet to the ground. Instantly, there's this large knot on her head. So her parents rush her to the hospital. They take all kinds of x-rays, they do a CAT scan, they're checking for any kind of broken bones or, or internal bleeding. Well, when the results of the test come back, there's good news and there's bad news. The good news is the little girl was not damaged by the fall. No injuries, no broken bones. But the bad news was this, because of those tests, they found a tumor, a brain tumor, and it was growing. So they kept the little girl overnight. The very next day, they, they do the surgery, and everything goes well. But it's after that surgery that both the doctors and the parents begin to realize if the little girl had never fallen out of the tree, they might never have discovered the tumor until it was too late. It was the fall out of the tree that actually saved the little girl's life. 
Could it be sometimes God sees something in your heart and mind, something that we don't? A dangerous tendency, a dangerous attitude, a dangerous desire. And if it's not addressed and addressed quickly, it can grow into something that one day will ruin us. So just like he does here in Acts chapter 19, could it be that sometimes God allows something traumatic to happen? Something big and scary, something that alarms us, something that wakes us up and grabs our attention. And he does that so he can expose the sin that we've been hiding in our hearts and so that he can now compel us to take our life with Jesus more seriously than we ever have before. Let me finish with this. Years and years ago, Stanley Collins would talk about this experience he had back in World War II. He was a soldier in the British Army, and he said one day he and his platoon came upon this landmine, this unexploded landmine. Here's something dangerous. So they carefully placed flags all the way around it so anybody else coming upon this, this piece of real estate, they would see it and stay away. They would see and avoid the danger until they could find a bomb crew to come along and safely disarm it. He said, many hours later, later that night, as Stanley said, he and his men, they came back to their tents to get a night of rest. And as they walk into camp, they nearly fainted because there's one of their buddies. He had grabbed that landmine and he was now using it as a pillow. Here he was reclining on this, danger, laying his head on this dangerous explosive and just sleeping, so calm. And they were alarmed, but then they remembered, he's part of the bomb crew. He's the one that removed the firing pin. He knew the landmine was harmless. That's what we're learning from the scripture. It's Jesus and only Jesus who can remove the firing pin from every one of Satan's weapons, which means if you belong to him, you know you are fully protected. You see, it's your relationship with the Lord that just makes all the difference of the world. Now you know that powers of evil can do you no harm when Jesus is standing at your side. Peace, real peace, it's found only in him. That's why every Sunday we pause, take a look at the cross. We pause for a moment to eat the bread and drink the cup just so we can remember Jesus, to remember who he is and to remember and appreciate what he has done for us. He's the Lamb of God. He's the one who takes away our sin. And he and only he can deliver us. So this morning, as we get ready to participate in the Lord's Supper, let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. God, we are weak, but you're strong. We are so naive. There's so much about life that we don't see or understand, and yet, God, you see it all and know it all. Nothing ever takes you by surprise, and God, you always knew the right thing to do. That's why right now we're leaning on you, asking God for your help, your protection, your provision. God, today, surround us with your goodness and your mercy. God, today, let us see with clarity and conviction. Let us see again who Jesus is, who he really is. And let us see and really begin to appreciate what he has done for us. And God, today, let us find our peace and our confidence I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, as you eat the bread and drink the cup, I want you to keep these words in mind. It's Galatians chapter 1. It says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the reason we can have this peace. Because Jesus gave himself for us. 
He gave himself for our sins. He died to take all our sin away. And he gave himself to rescue us from this present evil. 